So tonight I'm going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do a topical study. I'll get over here where I can see my screen. So a lot we talk about Samson. Like I said, you know, the benefit of being able to do this is those of us that are studying and putting things together, we get the opportunity to come in and share some of the things that we're studying. And you see Samson, of course I picked a cartoon character. The reason I picked the cartoon character is I couldn't find like a like a picture of Samson that he wasn't pretty much naked. I mean, this, not only did they not have a shirt, I mean, a lot of times they're just no clothes. It's like he's out fighting lines and doing all this stuff, and they just didn't put clothes on him to, to depict him. So I went with a cartoon character, and that's as close as I could find him in short notice. So anyway, that's, that's what we're going to talk about tonight is Samson. And I guess to start out with, what do you think about whenever you think about Samson? What brings to mind or what brings to your mind when you think about Samson? Strength. 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 Long hair? Womanizer. Womanizer. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of times when we think about Samson, you know, we think about the things like, you know, some people would describe him as a man of God. And then, but if you really study Samson, like Don mentioned, Womanizer, there's a whole other side to Samson that we really don't see in the children's stories. We hear the children's stories that are told over and over in the children's Bible classes. And, you know, we remember that he pushed down the columns and he killed the Philistines and he fought the, fought the line. And, all these things and, and you know the long flowing hair is something that comes up very regularly. You know, he hated the Philistines. Um, you know, we used to think of him as this huge muscular individual, you know, kinda kinda Arnold Schwarzenegger like, you know, how big and muscular muscles on muscles. But would it surprise you to know that the Bible never says a single thing about his physical appearance other than him having the long hair? I mean, I just didn't think about that until I really got to study in Samson one day and it just don't tell you anything about his physical appearance. So that was a curious thing to me. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, I don't know if you know this or not either, but he's in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. What's the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews? What do we always call that? The Hall of Faith. So there's Samson in the, in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews in the Hall of Faith. So it says here in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, starting in verse 32, it says, what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong, but valiant in battle and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Samson's in some pretty good company there, isn't he? So, if all you really know about Samson is the children's Bible stories, there's a lot more to Samson than just that. You know, and a lot of the reason why we don't know anything more than Samson than just children's Bible stories is because that's what we, we've seen in the children's Bible classes. That's what we've heard, and we kind of leave it at that. But there's an adult version of Samson here, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And there were some issues that he had, some things that he'd done was not something that you would expect from a man of God. So that's the things that I really got to studying on Samson and digging a little deeper that I figured out. There's a whole lot more to him. and He's a multi-layer character that we can learn about here in the Scriptures. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So to begin with, let's look at the story of Samson's birth. That's going to take us to Judges chapter 13. And it starts out there in about verse 1. And to give you an idea of what's happening here at this time, the children of Israel had an on-again, off-again type of relationship with God. Um, you know, He would bless them and then they would fall away into some sort of sin and then He would let them come under captivity and then 
he would, they would eventually cry out to him from being in captivity and then he would rescue them and it was a cycle that would go on with them. And this present time in Judges 13, they just went into captivity of the Philistines and it was going to be a 40-year captivity and that's what's going on when we go look here about the, uh, the birth of Samson. We start out in verse 1. It says, Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah uh, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, and therefore means because of this, because of this, please be careful and do not drink wine or similar drink and not eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God." from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came to her husband and told her husband, saying that the man of God had come to me, and his countenance was like an angel of God, very awesome, but he did not, I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. So what was Samson's mother's name here? Because her that woman doesn't tell us, so... It's a curious thing. You'll never see Samson's mother named. We don't know what her name is all the way through this whole story. That was a curious thing to me, but she was, and she was, and he was focused as you read the rest of this. They were focused on figuring out this angel's name, but they don't tell us her name. Just a curious thing that I noticed. So she's barren. The angel of the Lord tells her that she's going to bear a son, and that the son is going to be a Nazarite. Now, what's a Nazarite? One dedicated to God. One dedicated to God. So there's some things that, uh, that's involved in being a Nazarite. Let's go to Numbers chapter 6, 1-8, through 8, and we'll be able to see what a Nazarite is. Numbers chapter 6. We'll start out there in verse 1. We'll read 1-8. through 8, And this will tell us what a Nazarite is. And the reason we're going to read this and know what a Nazarite is, it's important to the story of Samson because he's got to live as a Nazarite while he's while he's functioning and doing these things that he's supposed to be doing on behalf of God. So it said, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman consecrates, consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean or even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister, when they die, because his separation to God is on his head, all the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. So this lays out the things that are particular to the vow. So a vow, it's a vow, and Azariah is a vow taken to concentrate themselves to the Lord. So who could take the vow according to these verses here in 6? A man or a woman. 
And it would be of the children of Israel, so the children of Israel could take the vow because that's who he's talking to, and it could be a man or a woman. Although he says he when he's descriptive here, when he talks about the vow, it could be a man or a woman. How long did the vow last? I know we all have studied this, so... It could last as long as you wanted it to last because when you take, take the vow where it says until the days are fulfilled for which He separated Himself to the Lord, in Samson's case was a little bit different. He was going to be a Nazarite from birth. So he was a Nazarite from the very beginning as he started out. But if you, if you were a, a children of Israel, if you were an Israelite and you took a vow, you would lay aside how long you were going to take that vow. And as long as you took that vow on whatever dates you laid out that you were going to take the vow, then that's how you, how you had that to go by to observe these. Um, what were the restrictions of the vow? And those are the things that we read here a few minutes ago. Shall eat nothing produced um, by the grapevine from seed to skin. That kind of encompasses everything to do with the grapevine from seed to skin. That's everything that you would eat of a grape that you can't touch. No razor shall come to his head or her head and you shall not go near a dead body. So a thing of interest as we go into the story is if you go on and you keep reading and we won't read through all of that, if you were to suddenly come upon someone that, like if somebody died close to you and you were close to a dead body or you touched them, you could restart your vow, but you had to have the priest go in and make sacrifice on your behalf and go through a cleansing process. You would have to shave your head and then the hair would start to grow again and it would renew that vow with God. But you would lose all the days that you'd been a Nazarite up to that point so you'd have to start over. So if you were going to set aside six months and that was going to be the time you were going to do it just for a number, and then that wound up happening three months in, then you would have to go through that consecration process, cleansing process, let your hair start to regrow and you would start back afresh. Think he would have ever had to done that at any time because he killed a lot of people. Well, he did. And we're going to talk about that. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's a different story than the children's books because you don't talk about a lot of this stuff in the children's stories. That's a very good point. And we're going to talk about some of those things. So let's go back to Judges. Uh, had to keep oneself pure too. It said that twice in those readings. So let's go back to Judges 13. We'll drop down about verse 24 as we close out the chapter. Verse 24 says, So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahadan between Zorah and Estol. So another interesting thing while we're here in this, do you all remember us talking about blueletterbible.org? I mean, it's, it's something that I use a lot. It's, uh, it's got all kinds of different study stuff, so there may be some denominational stuff in it if you go with some of the concordances. But one of the things that I like about it, up here whenever it talks about uh, Samson's dad's name, Manoah, so you can click on that verse and it pulls it up and it gives you an interlinear and a concordance. You can click on that concordance and it brings all this up. And I'll see if I can let you be able to hear this. So when you get to his name, if you're curious about how these... Old Testament characters, how you pronounce their name, when you pull this up, you scroll down. It's got each word of that verse broken down. And it tells you, in this case, the Hebrew. And you can click on the Hebrew, the number, and it'll give you the definition of how that's used in the Hebrew. And that's what I used it the most for. But it'll also pronounce these names for you and see if you can hear this. This is, this is Noah's, or not Noah, this is uh, uh, Samson's dad's name. Strong's H, 4495. Manoah. So, anyway, if you're curious, if you're studying and you're curious about these names, 
that these guys have. If it's something you're interested in, you can log on to it on your computer, it's free. There's downloads that you can do the app on your mobile devices. And the best thing about it is it has the Greek and the Hebrew. You don't have to know Greek and Hebrew to be able to use this. You can click on the definitions and go to it. And it helps you get the context of the scriptures. Pretty easy to use. All right, the next thing we're going to go look at is Samson chooses a wife. That's in verse 14, starting in verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore go get her for me as a wife. And then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of the brethren or among all the people that you must go and get a wife from these uncircumcised Philistines. And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. And verse 4 says, But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against them or to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So what's the first thing that you notice about this, that he's going and looking for a wife in the Philistines? Yeah, you're not supposed to be going and taking a wife from a foreign, a foreign group that's outside of the children of Israel. And his mother and father point that out to him, and, he, and they say, you know, is there, is there not a woman in, amongst our people that you would favor rather than, than this lady this, for this uncircumcised Philistine? But he said, she pleases me well. You know, I typically use the New King James. That's the version I like the best. And I look at the ESV some. And, and if, you look, if you look at this in verse 4, Verse 4 is really the key verse to this particular section. It says, But his father and mother did not know that it was the Lord, um, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. He is capitalized in that verse. So that whenever they translated this, the, the translators of the New King James assumes that it's talking about God in that particular verse, that, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistine. Some scholars write that if you, if you read what they write, they thought that that's talking about Samson and that Samson was privy or understood the plan that, that God had in place that he was wanting to um, free them from the Philistines. Because remember it said at his birth, it said that he was going to begin to uh, undo this captivity that they were under. So whichever way you want to take that, it seems that God was in control here at that point. And that's why Samson was trying to pick out this Philistine woman to marry because that puts him in closer to their camp, although it was outside of what they would normally do as one of the children of Israel. So let's see. I guess the next one that we'll go on to is Samson kills the lion. That's verse 14 and picks up in verse 5 when we go to that. It's kind of in succession here. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother. So he's headed back over there and he came to the vineyards of Timnah. And now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one who had torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father and mother what he had done. So he's going along, he's headed back over there to where he had picked out this wife, and this lion comes roaring upon him, and he, takes and, and he, and he tears the lion apart, just rips the lion apart with his bare hands. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and allowed him to be able to do this physically. And, and that goes back to what I was saying, that Samson, you know, we think of him as this big hulk of a man, bulky and muscular and all that, but every time you see something like this happen, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and it allows him to do that. If you can imagine that maybe, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger back in his heyday, all bulky and big, if you stood him up here beside me and then I was able to lift more or do more than what he could, 
you know, that would be a surprise to you. Somebody that's just real average size or build like myself could do more than what he could. To me, that would go further in convincing people that it was God that was allowing him to do these things instead of a big bulky individual that had muscles that that might almost be believable that he could do these things. So I tend to think that Samson was probably a pretty ordinary looking guy. It's just conjecture because the Scriptures just don't tell us. Any questions or comments so far? Yeah. And I don't think really much is said from the Philistines about Samson. Yeah. So that might give you an indication mm -hmm. that he might not be this big yeah. kind of a guy or yeah. seem to be that way. Yeah, and David's, David's listed right in there in Hebrews with the section that Samson's listed in. So give you some insight into that. Next thing we go to is or we go to is Samson eats honey from the carcass of the lion. And that's uh starts out about verse seven. And he went down and he talked with the woman and she pleased him well. And after some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. And he took some of it in his hands and he went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them. And they ate also, or also ate. And when he, he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So we see a thing happen here that's pretty unusual. And you remember that it said not supposed to come around a dead body as part of his vow that he's supposed to do. So you think he, you think he violated his, part of his vow here by taking, you know, had to, had to touch his carcass of the line. So you think he violated part of his vow by doing that? Maybe. See some heads shaking? Probably, yeah. So I kind of figured that. First time I read through this, I thought he's probably violated that. But... If you really go back and look at what it says, if you remember our reading in number 6, it's talking about if your father dies, your mother dies, your brother dies, your sister dies, and it lists family members. It's talking about humans. And it's talking about a dead body. It doesn't really say a carcass. It's not talking about... I don't think it's talking about animals in that part. And then the more you think about it, and the more you consider that, you know, if uh, children of Israel, a child, uh, an Israelite, he could eat meat. He had to eat the clean meat. He couldn't eat the unclean meat. But he would almost have to become a vegan if he couldn't touch a dead body. I mean, how would he prepare it? They didn't have slaughterhouses and freezers and all that stuff like we do. So much of the families had to prepare that. So if you start thinking through it logically, it's not really a human. It's not a dead body like a human dead body around the carcass of the lion. And if he couldn't, if he couldn't touch something that was dead before it was cooked, that would pose some problems for them being able to eat. He would always have somebody to have to prepare his food. So I kind of tend to think, he probably didn't go against it just based on that. Now, that's, it's not a salvation issue. You can think about that whichever way you want. It's just interesting to consider these things as part of the story. So I'm okay if, if you think differently than that, Monty. His mother took the same vow as he did. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wonder about that by him not telling her. Yeah, and, but notice that whenever he's given the instructions, the angel of the Lord's given the instructions to her. If you go on and read that, he says, don't, but don't eat anything unclean. Right. He doesn't say don't eat meat. He says, don't eat anything unclean. So it's curious about that. Yeah, the mother took the same vow. That's why he told her, stay away from this and this and this. Well, he was carrying Samson because he was going to be from birth. But you know, we know that conception is that conception, that, you know, life is that conception. So Samson was going to be a living being inside her, and she had to help keep that vow leading up to that. Or something like that uh, 
in order where they couldn't say it was from a man, but it was yeah. was by the glory of God. And this could be the same thing too. Mm -hmm. You know, him being a smaller man would be for it be more to the glory of God and not have like uh, things like that. Um, yeah, that's right. The verses it talks about where they made them go down and get a drink out of the, the river and depending on how they got the drink, they separated them out and they wound up with a lot less men. I don't remember the book chapter and verse of that. You guys might remember. I know Don's shaking his head. He, he knows. But there's all kinds of times like that that the Lord separates it out and He does more with less to prove that it's from Him. So the next one, we're going to have to speed up a little bit to hit my five after. So I'm going to kind of summarize some of this stuff. Samson goes to visit his wife. Now, when he goes to visit his wife, well, he goes down there with a kid, with a kid goat, and he's going to take this kid goat and he's going to visit his wife. Now, this is the one that he got got, got angry at and separated from, and he, he goes down there to visit her. Um, let's see, I skipped a couple of parts to, to speed it up here. Talked about breaking the vow and all that. So Samson, Samson winds up marrying this lady. He goes to a wedding feast. Some people think during the wedding feast that he may have violated his vow also at the wedding feast because it was very common for them to have wine or grape juice or whatever, but it doesn't say that. It never talks about what they had at the wedding feast. That's conjecture on folks' part. And then at, during the wedding feast, he gives a riddle about the line, and you're all familiar with the riddle on the line, and the men guess it, and then Samson, Samson winds up killing uh, 30 men because he, he lost the vow. His wife turned him over, betrayed him there a little bit, and then they guessed, they, they guessed the riddle that he'd done, and he had to go provide the apparel that he made the bet with. So he winds up going and killing 30 men, and, and that's, uh, let's see, he kills 30 men. That's, that's 14, 19, where that starts at. So trying to put it all together. So we, I'm wanting to get to the next thing here. So I'm leaving a little bit off. So he kills these 30 men. He takes the apparel. He goes back and gives it to the men that guessed the riddle. So he was around dead bodies then when he was killing these men. So it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him again. So I have to guess that when the Spirit of the Lord came on him and helped him kill those 30 men, he had to touch them to be able to take the, take the clothes off of them to give the garments to these men that he, he gave the garments to. Um, plus, they were, if he was killing them, he was in pretty close proximity to them when the life left him. But the Spirit of the Lord was helping him do that. And then Samson goes back and visits his wife. He's mad at his wife because she let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, about the, about the riddle and he, and he loses that. So he goes to visit his wife, 15, and and one where he goes there and, and he finds out that his wife has been given away to what was essentially his best man at the wedding. So Samson gets mad again, anger issues. He gets mad again, he catches 300 fox, he gets them two by two, he ties their tails together, he ties a torch between their tails and he lets them go and they run through the wheat and he sets the wheat on fire and, and burns the vineyards and he burns all this stuff which angers the Philistines and then the Philistines come up and they're angry about this and they want to know, you know, why, why have... Why have you guys allowed this to happen? So they're, they're wanting some retribution. And then they come and they're going to arrest Samson. And I know I'm rushing along, but I'm trying to get to this next part. I've got about five minutes left. So we want to get to the part in Judges chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah, Judah said... Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to rest Samson uh, to do to him what he's done to us. And then the 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock where Samson was and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? It's like, dummy, don't you know that the Philistines rule over us? And you went and set their fields on fire and you've done all this stuff. Uh, what is it you have done? And he said to them, 
as they did to me, I've done also to them. So he really didn't care about what he had incited or what he had caused. But they said to him, uh, we've come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. And they bound him with ropes. And he said, you know, promise me that you won't kill me. They said, we won't kill you ourselves. We're going to deliver you to him. They bound him with those ropes. And then when he came to Leah, the Philistines came shouting against him when the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire and his bonds broke loose from his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. And then Thompson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps with the jawbone of a donkey, I've slayed a thousand men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he knew the jawbone, threw the jawbone from his hand and called the place Ramah Lee. And Ramah Lee just means height of a jawbone. So how many of y'all have ever seen the jawbone of a donkey to know what that is or what it looks like? Anybody? Jawbone of a donkey. Y'all might guess this is uh, Gina's favorite possession. <laughs> and I'm thinking we're probably going to find a nice spot for it at the house, like the mantle, maybe, beside the TV. So this, let me give you a little bit of explanation of what this is. This is Willard. He grew up on the family farm. And he's not a pure donkey. He's actually a mule, and let me explain that to you. So you get a, you get a mule from breeding a male donkey to a female horse. Willard's mama was a small Tennessee walking horse. And whenever you get these big mules, like you see pulling wagons and doing draft stuff, they're bred from a, from a mare that's a, draft, that's a draft horse. So you get a big mule that's bulky. If you breed a donkey to a small Tennessee walking horse, you get what looks like a donkey. He, he was a mule by all rights, but why this works to compare this the reason this works to compare this to a jawbone of a donkey is there's not really much difference in the head and the jawbone structure of a mule and a donkey. So the differences in a mule and a donkey, they've got an extra vertebrae in their back. Their back tends to be a little bit longer. They're slightly taller, just a little bit. So the head structure in the jawbone is really not much different. So I brought this because it's a very good representation of what Samson would have had in his hand. And you wonder when you see that, you think, how, how did he get a hold of that? Well, if you see this, you can kind of tell. I mean, it's a pretty good spot to grip that. And this whole thing is a jawbone. See, it's joined together in the middle. So this whole thing is considered the jawbone. That you can hold that up. And you can see how he could swing with that and really do some damage. What kind of jawbone did it say he found? It was a donkey, but what description did it give? A fresh one, right? So some scholars think that the carcass was still laying there and he probably pulled it right out of there. So it would be a fresh one. The longer they linger, they get a little harder. And if you had a fresh one, it'd be a little more pliable because this, you know, the bone's a living thing too. It has the marrow and stuff in it, so it's more flexible. So he could probably really whack people with it and not break that. Another interesting fact about this is people play music with these things, believe it or not. So you can Google that. Uh, I thought about a video. We don't have time for that. But they, they have a piece of cloth that they put around this part. And I was curious why that would be. But if you look at this, this is pretty sharp right there. Once the gums are all gone, it's pretty sharp right there, so it could cut you if you were swinging it, but people put a cloth around this, some kind of decorative cloth, and they hold it, and they hold it different ways, and, and the teeth become loose in here when the gums are gone, they're still in the socket, they don't hear that. So they, they hit it, it's a percussion instrument. They hit it, and they get in time. I can't do it, obviously. 
Uh, saw one lady on there, she would turn it around this way and hold it like this, kind of fiddle. She would hold it like this. She had a drumstick she cut down and she was hitting the sides of it and she would rake the teeth and she got a rhythm going. That was pretty cool. So you can look that up if you want to see about how that, how that works. So I thought y'all might enjoy that. Are those the places on the side, the place where you have to drink the water from? I, I'm not sure what that is. And I probably should look that up and it actually comes through from the inside. See right there? So that's a hole that goes all the way through that jawbone right there on the inside on both sides and it comes out right there. So I don't know what the purpose of that is. Curious about that too, but I put all this together pretty quick so I didn't really take time to look that up. And this is as useful as Willard ever was <laughs> to be able to come to Bible class to me and show y'all what a jawbone was. He was hateful and mean and rather stomp you or kick you than look at you. But if you didn't get his feed, if you didn't get his grain in the feed, in the, in the feed bin by a certain time in the afternoon, he'd stand there at the fence and if he saw you, he'd throw that nose up, pin them ears and give you a big bray. So he was an honorary really couldn't do much with him. So to wind this up and give some application to this, and we're skipping over some stuff. You know, Samson pushed the pillars out, pushed the pillars out and shoved those down and killed the Philistines. All that fell in. And at that point, his eyes had been gouged out. Delilah had betrayed him and told his secret and they guessed it all. And he was at the bottom and said the Lord left him when his hair was cut, his eyes was gouged out. They put him as a grinder in the mill. And that, that's what his, his lot had came to be. And when he got up there at, for the celebration of the Philistines, and he, and he called on the Lord and asked Him to remember him one more time. And you know the story. It's the one we always tell to the kids. The Lord gave him back his strength. His hair had started to grow back, just like the Nazarite vow. The Lord gave him his strength, and he pushed the columns out. And the columns fell, and they estimate that it killed at least 3,000 men. So let's jump through the slides here and get to where I need to go. Samson as an adult had some issues. This is not like the children's stories we tell them. We don't tell them all this. He had anger issues. He was prideful. He had arrogance. He had lust for women, like Don said. Uh, no respect for women. He had no respect for the marriage vow. He didn't seem to care about his Nazarite vow because he just kind of went about doing what he wanted to. Um, you know, he lied repeatedly. Every time he got asked about his strength, what gave him his strength, he always told a lie about it. And if it's fun and games, that's fine. But, you know... Lying's never right. It's never a right thing to lie. And often sought revenge for himself. So Samson had all these issues. Many scholars believe that Samson collapsing the stadium was the precursor to the defeat of the Philistines, which was accomplished not long thereafter. 1 Samuel 7 and 13 says, So the Philistines were subdued, and they, they came no more within the borders of Israel, and the hand of Jehovah was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. So here's the point. We skipped over some stuff. You know, in the process of all this, one of the things I didn't mention is when Samson made one of his trips, he went into a harlot. That's obviously not something that you need to do to keep yourself holy or pure. He, he did all this stuff he shouldn't do. He had all these issues that, it, that we looked at that he had in amongst his greatness and what he'd done. And he was living in a time where the children of Israel were off course. So Samson may have been a good sampling of what the children of Israel was like at that time. So it might be that he was probably God's best choice to save the people because the rest of them weren't any different than him. But we saw Samson's parents that evidently were godly people. When the angel of the Lord came to him, then they wanted to know what to do and they tried their best to do it to the best of their ability what God asked him. So they were evidently godly parents, even though we don't know her name. She never said her name. 
So here's the takeaway from, uh, from, from this for us tonight. The lesson to us is this. If we have struggles and we have things in our life that we should not have, if we've got sin in our life in some capacity, and we know we all sin and fall short, we're supposed to walk in the light as He is in the light. We don't jump in and out of the church. We don't make a mistake or sin, and then God kicks us out, and then we pray, and He brings us back. We've got to do like Samson. Samson prayed, Lord, remember me one last time. Give me the strength to do this. And the Lord came back to him and He gave him that. We've got to pray these things away. So here in midweek, if you're having a hard week, if you're struggling, you've got issues in your life you need to get rid of, pray to God and get rid of them. Samson's example here is for us that we can be right back in the good graces with God and we can be on par with Him like we should be, like Samson was. Not the children's story, but the adult story. It's application for us as well. So thank you for your attention.